Good morning and welcome to Friday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I apologize. I did not bring an episode to you guys yesterday. There was just no news for me to cover. I'm totally kidding. Um, Life just happens sometimes. I'm not going to make excuses. Today's episode is going to be a little bit longer than normal to compensate so that I can cover some of the things that I missed yesterday. So we're going to get right into it. First, I just want to let you guys know, in case you didn't see my post on Twitter, uh, uh, the Barbie Girl song released 25 years ago. And so I was in the car with my daughter and when this revelation came about and I was like, oh gosh, that's painful. It's like, that must've released a lot earlier than I thought it did. I must've been a lot younger. My daughter's like, mama, that came out in 1997. And I was like, fuck, I was already like 15 years old at that point. That's crazy. (laughs) So I am officially old and I'm inviting you to wallow in self-pity with with me today. So anyway, uh, the a, a China-based team at TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, planned to use the TikTok app to monitor the personal location of some specific American citizens, according to materials reviewed by Forbes. The team behind the monitoring project, ByteDance's internal audit and risk control department, is led by Beijing-based executive Song Yi, who reports to ByteDance co-founder and CEO Rubo Liang. The team primarily conducts investigations into potential misconduct by current and former ByteDance employees, but in at least two cases, the internal audit team also planned to collect TikTok data about the location of a U.S. citizen who had never had an employment employment relation with the company. It is unclear from the materials whether data about these Americans was actually collected. However, the plan was for a Beijing-based ByteDance team to obtain location data from U.S. users' devices. A TikTok spokesperson, um, her name is Maureen Shanahan, said that TikTok collects approximate location information based on users' IP addresses, among other things that help show relevant content and ads to users, comply with applicable laws, and detect and prevent fraud and inauthentic behavior. The material reviewed by Forbes indicates that ByteDance's internal audit team was planning to use this location information to surveil individual American citizens, not to target ads or any of these other purposes. Forbes is not disclosing the nature and purpose of the planned surveillance, referenced in the materials in order to protect sources. I mean, I think that would be pretty important information to learn or know about, right? Um, TikTok and ByteDance did not answer questions about whether internal audit had specifically targeted any member of the U.S. government, activists, public figures, or journalists. TikTok is reportedly close to signing a contract with the Treasury Department's committee on foreign investment in the United States, which evaluates the national security risks posed by companies of foreign ownership and has been investigating whether the company's Chinese ownership could enable the Chinese government to access personal information about U.S. TikTok users. The internal audit team uses a data request system known to employees as the Green Channel. According to documents and records from LARC, ByteDance's internal office management software, 
These documents and records show that Green Channel requests for information about U.S. employees have pulled that data from mainland China. ByteDance is not the first tech giant to have considered using an app to monitor specific U.S. users. Both Uber and Facebook reportedly tracked the location of journalists reporting on their applications. A 2015 investigation by the Electronic Privacy Information Center found that Uber had monitored the location of journalists covering the company, but Uber did not respond to this claim, of course. The 2021 book, An Ugly Truth, alleges that Facebook did the same thing in an effort to identify the journalist's sources, but an important factor distinguishes ByteDance's planned collection of private users' information from those two cases. TikTok recently told lawmakers that access to certain U.S. user data, likely including location, will be limited only to authorized personnel pursuant to protocols being developed with the United States government. TikTok and ByteDance did not answer questions about whether internal audit executives Song Yi or other members of the department are considered authorized personnel for the purposes of these protocols. These promises are part of Project Texas, which is TikTok's massive effort to rebuild its internal systems so that China-based employees will not be able to access a swath of protected identifying user data about TikTok users, including their phone numbers, birthdays, and draft videos. So like, even if you don't hit send on the video, the draft videos are viewable at this time. The effort is central to the company's national security negotiations. In a, uh, oh, okay, hold on. I don't want to go to that article yet. So here's what's really interesting, just a little personal tidbit here. So I started using TikTok, and initially I was like, okay, this is for investigative purposes only. Y'all, it is the most intuitive AI that I have ever experienced in my entire life. And it's rapid response, meaning that if your mood changes and you're interested in, you know, something maybe a little bit different at this moment in time, it registers that in in the most rapid time frame that I've ever seen in my entire life. And I'm not talking about just advertisements. I'm talking about what shows up in your like for you um, feed or whatever. It's insane. It's it is the most insane response AI that I've ever seen. It should be illegal. How how intuitive it is. Anyway, um probably gonna have to delete the application because it's really fun and I wanna hate it because it's like China f- fucking data farming, but it's still really fun. So it's like booze, right? Like you know you shouldn't be drinking it. Or cigarettes, you know you shouldn't be smoking it, but God, it's like so much fun. Okay, anyway. In a surprise to what should be literally not a single person on the planet, Elon Musk will reportedly gut Twitter with massive cuts when he takes over, getting rid of the overwhelming majority of the company. The Washington Post reported that Musk told prospective investors that he plans to get rid of nearly 75% of Twitter's 7,500 workers, whittling the company down to a skeleton staff of just over 2,000. We've actually covered this already as it was disclosed in Discovery from texts going back and forth between Elon and Jason Calacanis. 
Former Twitter data scientist Edwin Chen said that the cuts would immediately impact the platform and that users would probably be able to notice a difference right away. It would be a cascading effect where you'd have services going down and the people that were remaining didn't have the institutional knowledge to get them back up and and being completely demoralized and wanting to leave themselves. Um, The report said that though Musk believed that gutting the company was the first step and then he could reshape it through new hires, the report also disclosed some of the people who decided to help invest in Twitter with Elon, including Oracle co-founder Larry Ellison and Sequoia partner Doug Leone, who the Post said were also Trump supporters and self-proclaimed believers in the type, type of free speech ideology Musk promised to bring back to the platform. There is no type of free speech. There's just free speech. There, there's, there is no specific type. It's all, it's all speech. It's all free. The report added that hedge fund manager Kenneth Griffin, the second largest GOP donor in the current midterm cycle, also committed a smaller amount, under $20 million, compared with the $1 billion from Ellison. This is going to be painful for a while, it appears, and I just really hope it doesn't affect my ability to host Twitter spaces (laughs) in the most selfish fashion that I can possibly muster at this point in time. Okay, the federal government is demanding that the state of Arizona remove double-stacked shipping containers placed to fill in gaps along the wall of the U.S.-Mexico border. They're saying that they are unauthorized and they violate U.S. law. The Cocopa, Cocopa, I don't know how to say that name, I'm, whatever, Cocopa Indian tribe in southwestern Arizona welcomed the call to take down the containers in the latest rift between the Biden administration and Republican-led border states over how to prevent illegal border crossings. The Bureau of Reclamation also demanded in last week's letter that no new containers be placed. It said the Bureau wants to prevent conflicts with two federal contracts that have been awarded and two more still pending to fill border wall gaps near the Morelos Dam in the Yuma, Arizona area. The unauthorized placement of these containers constitutes a violation of federal law and is a trespass against the United States. I really enjoy that these federal laws that are being broken um, are so selectively enforced, right? Like how many federal drug laws is Oregon and Washington and California and all of these states, uh, how are those federal laws being enforced versus some shipping containers trying to plug some holes? Come on now. It's all politics. Uh, That trespass is harming federal lands and resources and impending reclamation's ability to perform its mission. Responding to the Bureau of Reclamation, Arizona's Department of Emergency and Military Affairs fired back with, the containers will remain in place until specific details regarding construction are provided. A spokesperson for Ducey said the governor is weighing a separate response, but questioned the federal government's sense of urgency in dealing with the situation, considering it took the feds since August to write a letter. Ducey Communications Director C.J. Margin told the Washington Examiner 
on Tuesday. If this is any indication of their sense of urgency, then perhaps that explains the problem we're having. Ducey said in August he was tired of waiting on the federal government to finish erecting the barrier and decided to fill the gaps with the containers. The Yuma area was selected because it's one of the most popular sectors for migrants to cross, according to a 208% increase in the fiscal year 2022 over the fiscal year 2021. I know I break away from many of my followers with my position on the U.S. border, but it is a welcome sight to see these governors pushing back and doing something where federal government is absolutely inept and what appears to be willfully negligent at protecting American sovereignty. Just when you think nuclear fallout from the Russia-Ukraine war is what you need to worry about, you find out that's just not the case. A Missouri elementary school located near a contaminated creek in St. Louis County has closed after a private study found high levels of radioactive waste inside the building and in its playground area. The Hazelwood School District announced this week that Jana Elementary School in Florissant will pivot to virtual learning while school officials work on transferring students to different schools in the districts in the coming weeks. Where is Erin Brockovich when you need her? I just aged myself again with that comment. Okay, Coldwater Creek is a 19-mile tributary of the Missouri River. It passes near sites that were used in the development of the nuclear weapons for the Manhattan Project, including radioactive waste storage piles. The creek is contaminated with uranium processing residues that were improperly stored near it, according to the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry, which in 2019 released a public health assessment report that found an increased risk of certain cancers for residents who regularly played or lived along the creek for many years in the past. Jana Elementary sits on the floodplain of Coldwater Creek. The Corps, which is charged with the creek's remediation, first detected radioactive contaminants near the school in 2018, again in 2019, 20, and 21, according to the Boston Chemical Data Corps report. Following the latest testing, the Corps notified school officials in January that soil sampling conducted on the school's property showed the presence of low-level radioactive contamination on the banks of Coldwater Creek. In an August 5th letter to the school community, but wait, there's more. After private testing... The decision to close the school comes a week after the release of the Boston Chemical Data Report, which found radioactive waste in the school and its playground. The report was funded by law firms involved in a class action lawsuit alleging illnesses and deaths caused by the creek contamination. The school district granted the request for the testing, which was conducted in August, according to the Jana Elementary PTA, which alerted families to the report's findings on October 14th. Testing of dust and soil samples indicated high levels of radioactive lead in the school, including the library and the playground. The levels in the kindergarten play area were 22 times the expected background. Color me shocked that the United States government came in and said, oh, there's low levels, no big deal. You can choose to go to school or work remotely, you know, whatever. It's all good. And then... In the next breath, you have a private entity come in 
do the same investigation, and lo and behold, it's not safe for your kids to be there. Okay. Oh, this one's got me fired up. So forgive me if I get a little angry in this. Okay. The U.S. Center for C- Disease and Control, so the CDC, Advisory Committee on Vaccines on Thursday approved adding COVID-19 vaccines to the agency's recommended immunization schedules for both children and adults. The CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices voted unanimously to add the vaccines to the schedules, which contain recommendations to physicians on which shots their patients should receive and when. The Advisory Committee unanimously, not one vote of dissent, not one person saying, hmm, do we think the risk to children is higher The advisory committee unanimously, not one voice of dissent, not one person saying, hmm, do we think the risk to children is higher with injecting them with something with no long-term testing than just catching COVID? No one is speaking up for children in this situation, and that's disgusting. Several committee members stressed that they were not setting a requirement for anyone to receive the shots. The CDC has recommended that Americans over six months of age should receive a COVID-19 vaccine. Some parents and doctors who are against COVID-19 vaccine mandates have expressed concerns during public comments at the meeting and on social media that adding the shots to the CDC schedule will encourage state regulators to require them for public school attendance. Now, I'm not stupid. I know that these decisions cannot be mandated by the federal government, and that's not what I'm saying. It is a state issue. But did you see how states responded and followed the CDC's recommendations and guidelines over the last three years? Or have you been living under a rock? There is money to be made. Your children be damned. If you believe this government cares about you and your family more than they care about lining their own pockets, I don't even know what to do with you anymore. After... Zelensky asked for a $7 billion monthly allowance from the United States taxpayers amid concerns that a new Congress could take a more skeptical view of aid to Ukraine. Lawmakers from both parties are looking to lock in billions of dollars of military assistance to Kyiv before newly elected members are sworn in in January. Kevin McCarthy of California, who is poised to take over as Speaker if the GOP wins a majority in the House, in the November midterm elections, warned this week that his fellow party members are, quote, not going to write a blank check to Ukraine. That is not allowed. You can't say things like that. This is the United States of Ukraine, don't you know? With that threat to Ukraine aid looming, the bipartisan idea under consideration would use a government funding bill during the lame duck section session after the midterms to secure a much higher level of military and other assistance than prior aid packages for Ukraine, according to lawmakers and aides. Because that's the most important thing right now, a threat to Ukraine aid. We literally have kids going to school in nuclear waste in the United States, but heaven forbid, the waterfall of cash flowing into one of the most corrupt countries in the world stops. That would just be unthinkable. The amount 
would be enough to make sure Ukraine can get through the year. It'll make the $12 billion look like pocket change. The new aid package, which most likely would be part of an omnibus spending bill, of course, because why wouldn't it be? They need to squeeze it in there so that they can pass it all. Ooh. Could be within the range of roughly $50 billion. The Biden administration has not yet made a formal request for new funding. Congress has allocated a total of $65 billion in funding to Ukraine since Russia attacked the country in February. But Ukraine, Eastern European governments, and Kyiv supporters in Congress on both sides of the aisle are worried that a larger contingent of pro-Trump, isolationist-minded lawmakers in Congress could jeopardize the flow of weapons, ammunition, and economic aid that has enabled Ukraine to gain ground against Russian troops in recent months. Quote, direct quote, We are incredibly concerned that the MAGA wing of the party is planning to block life-saving aid to Ukraine if Republicans take over the House. We're going to have to get creative in the coming months to front load as much aid to Ukraine as possible, given that we may again find ourselves in the calamitous position where Putin's interests are once again aligned with that of Trump and his followers. This is fucking disgusting. Wanting to take care of your own problems in your own country is siding with Putin. Welp, doy moy rosiski passport. Asked about concerns that congressional support for aid to Ukraine could be at risk, State Department Deputy Spokesperson Vedant Patel said that Biden and Secretary of State Antony Blinken have been very clear that our commitment to our Ukrainian partners is not just unwavering, but it is ironclad. And we're going to continue to take steps to do what we can to ensure that Ukraine has what it needs to defend itself to defend its territorial integrity, and to put it in the best position possible at a potential negotiating table, whenever that might be. That is your Friday edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I know I went long, but shit needed to be talked about. Um, We got Liberty Happy Hour this evening at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. If you want to join us on Twitter Spaces, otherwise you guys enjoy your weekend And I will see you on Monday. You guys take care. Have a great day.